0: Welcome to the Parallax Podcast, the film debate podcast where I apparently don't like anything. My name is Rich Harrity and I'll be your host as we journey today into the world of superhero cinema. Joining me first will be ABC TV News Breakfast film critic Zach Hepburn. Zach and I will speed through a few recent release films including Batman v Superman, Colin Dawn of Justice and Deadpool. Heads up. I didn't like either. We will talk about some other stuff, though, that I do like, so at least I can get to use some of my good words a little. Then I'll have a chat with critic Ben Buckingham to dig a little deeper into superhero cinema. Ben is a fan of Zack Snyder's films, but Batman v Superman is the first Snyder film that he hasn't appreciated. We'll also have a chat about this whole expanded universe thing that every studio is doing nowadays, and I think either it's the end of cinema as we know it, Or I'm still acutely depressed from my Batman v Superman viewing. Let's jump straight into it and find out which, shall we? Welcome back to the Parallax Podcast, and joining me now is critic Zach Hepburn to discuss some of the recent film releases and maybe dig into superhero cinema a little
1: bit. Zach, welcome. Mr. Harrity, it's uh, nice to see you have put on your uh, red spandex and cape for our superhero challenge. Oh,
0: because I, I I love this
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah, so. you, know, you know it.
0: <laughs> so, well, what do you think? What do you think of this whole superhero movement that's going through cinema and the whole expanded universe thing where every film is part of a, a major franchise of other films?
1: What do you, What's your two cents on Look, I, I, I appreciate the spectacle of the whole thing. I mean, I I read comic books. I, I like seeing panels brought to 3D life uh, yeah. on the big screen. Um, I won't lie, there's certain sequences in the films I really get a kick out of. I do feel that we're reaching the pinnacle moment, though, where people are starting to pull back from them yeah. a little bit. There is a, there's an awareness of them now where people are going oh, haven't we seen a little bit of this before? Haven't we seen something like this before? every
0: studio is doing their own expanded universe Exactly. I mean, everything
1: everything is just feeding into one thing after the other. And, uh, you know, Star Wars is back as well, and that's got its own expanded universe. So it's just, yeah, look, it's nothing new. Like, you know, crossover comic books and and crossover properties have been happening uh, forever, really, as soon as there has been kind of pop culture characters. But I do feel it's reaching, you know, peak <laughs> peak saturation point at the moment <laughs> Most uh, definitely. so uh, I'll be very curious to see how it plays out you know studios have uh, certain properties scheduled up to like 2024 or something along well, those lines it gets so. kind of a little bit frightening and mm. I guess
0: that feeds into the first film we'll talk about Batman v Superman not um, versus no, the, the the dawn of justice. <laughs> there's there's yep. colon dawn of justice. <laughs> <laughs> I think, which is it's quite a mouthful <laughs> of a, a it's title. It's a big title. And this is really the launch pad for DC's expanded universe, yep. which is going to lead for the next five years, two films a year. We've yep. got a lot of films coming based on this film, the what Justice League of America. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. how
1: do you how did you feel about Batman v Superman? Uh, uh look, I for something that had been that long coming, uh, with you know so many kind of budget you know kind of things that happen like obviously George Miller was going to be doing it for a while he was going to be doing the Justice League film yeah, with yeah. Wonder Woman and it has been a very long time coming it's got a lot hanging on its shoulders this film uh, obviously the when Batman broke the internet when the casting of Ben Affleck oh, was yeah, announced yeah. um I didn't inherently like it but I didn't inherently dislike it either I think okay. some of the some of the fanboy venom that has been leveled at it online in in the wake of its release has been a little bit kind of unwarranted. I, I, hated uh, it. I, I, I hate it. I know really you hate it. <laughs> Look, I know you hate it. Look, for me it's it, it was like it, it was a theme park ride that went on a little bit too long. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like if you're stuck on it's a small world for just that little bit that too little long. Bit like, too, yeah. I was excited when I went in and I was digging it and now I've just been on this I've been on this ride yeah. a little bit too long. I really dug some of the sequences in it. There's particularly this without giving away any sort of spoilers, there's yeah. this really wild, uh, kind of dystopic, uh, Mad Max esque sort of projection into the future uh, featuring Batman and Superman, which I really kind of dug. Uh, the one thing I really disliked around the film was Jesse Eisenberg. I thought his Lex oh, Luthor was that, just, yeah. you know, Gene Hackman is somewhere Royal bun style gristling. Uh, yeah, of, there, there was a moment
0: when Eisenberg first comes into the film that it was somewhat interesting to me because it felt like he was playing an almost like a coked-up version of Mark Zuckerberg yeah, from The Social yeah, exactly. Network. Yeah. And I liked that idea yeah. of Lex Luthor being... Kind of a Zuckerberg, a Zuckerberg on coke. social media baron, yes. But man, yeah. Eisenberg just like kept stepping up and up yeah. and up into just crazy over the topness that yeah. just it didn't fit. And it was it was really kind of cliched bad guy, too. Yeah. There wasn't yeah. anything interesting it was about what he was. Snidely
1: whiplash territory yeah. of, you know, oh, and hell, my master's plan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> With so much yeah. was that, yeah. Uh, um, uh, and look, I just feel that there's not the film has trying to jam pack so much stuff in that it could never get. You know, uh, a cohesive story across. I thought the last act turns into an animated video game, which I know sounds kind of hypocritical say of a superhero film but no, it doesn't. Have, it didn't happen. How many times can we see people being thrown into buildings? Oh, I, mean, I, it I just, found just, the one like so unpleasant. Yeah, so, so unpleasant. Positives that I did want to focus on, I really did like Affleck as Batman. I dug yeah. his performance. Yeah. Uh, I really dug Jeremy Irons as yeah. Alfred. I'm uh, not yeah. really given much to do I'll but that. definitely something cool to uh, like a nice spin on the character uh, but other than that, Cavell looks bored. Uh, Wonder Woman's not given much to do <laughs> uh, and uh, it just feels like a piecemeal of every sort of potential superhero film that we could be seeing and have seen. and So how does it make you feel looking forward to the
0: rest of the DC films? Like, are you are you looking forward to a Wonder Woman and an a Justice League film now? Or are you kind of dreading the prospect of five years, at least, of, of films in this world?
1: Uh, look, I, I do like the visual style of... Snyder's work a little bit. I feel like it is getting to a saturation point as well now with his style. Yeah. Almost the J.J. Abrams saturation point that we yeah. hit a little while ago. His aesthetic is just uh, so primed yeah. and almost
0: becoming a stereotypical it, thing. That,
1: so Look, I, I do want to see more of it um, because I'm always curious about these sort of things. As I mentioned briefly, I, I, I do come from a, a comic book fan background, yeah. so I am curious to see how these sort of properties are handled in a, a three-dimensional way. Uh, but look, I can't say I'm overtly enthusiastic for, yeah. for, for more of it. It, but uh, i am def- definitely curious
0: well the next film we'll talk about is another superhero film from recent months mm-hmm. deadpool mm-hmm. which again i i really didn't like deadpool i had an enormous amount of problems with it but but what were your two cents on deadpool i also feel like deadpool
1: just deadpool to me i've never really been a huge fan of the character i like the idea of of deadpool it's just sort of like this kind of cocky anti-hero yeah uh but again he, he in, in the comic book world like he's always kind of playing off against someone else. Like, he kind of pops up in someone else's kind of narrative sometimes, or he kind of does his own little thing in someone else's world. When you're watching a 90-minute slab of the character, it's a bit one-note. It was a bit sort of repetitive. Uh, I also feel like uh, the X-Men have been sort of shoehorned in. Yeah. uh, Because, I hang on, that's the other property that we own that's in the Marvel version. We need to kind of, like, connect these somehow. I did enjoy... Ryan Reynolds in the film more than I did in X Men: uh, Wolverine Origins, which was of course Deadpool's first uh, filmic appearance. Praise, I guess. Not very hard to beat that. No, but uh, look, uh, for a sort of anomaly in the box office world of a hard R comic book film smashing the box office as Deadpool has. I think that's a very interesting point and I think that's interesting that the marketing of the film was kind of edgy in itself as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really kind of uh, kind of post-mortem interesting point to make. But the actual film itself, I think, is, is fairly kind of redundant. Um, oh yeah, the, it, the film really bothered
0: me in terms of the way that it treads this line between seeming like it's really clever mm. and subversive and original. But in reality... It's none of those things. Mm. It's one of the most conventional superhero stories that you'll ever see. And we've seen this story a million times. And when it gets to the point where his girlfriend gets kidnapped by the bad guy and that just spurs him on this kind of vengeance spree to get the bad guy even more. I was just in disbelief at how bland and conventional what I was seeing was playing out as. And... It really bothered me because it presents itself as a, as a subversive, different meta
1: take on things, but it's not any of those things. And that's what I was saying. I think I think the marketing of the film has been very clever in that respect that they kind of did uh, have that kind of breaking a fourth wall, wink, wink, nudge, nudge yeah. element to it. But in the film, that just feels like completely overused and completely uh, something to fall back on to, yeah, showcase that they're doing something a little bit differently, yeah. but they're doing absolutely everything the oh, same. Not only
0: that, I mean, it doesn't even get... Meta humour Right As Mm. far as I'm concerned I mean Meta humour Isn't just pointing out That you're doing something meta Mm. So there's this kind of Big joke in the film Where he He comments that He's breaking the wall Within a fourth wall break Mm. And it's like Oh wow Isn't that so clever And it's like That's not a joke To me It was akin to An observational comic Mm. That like just points out things and observe and there's no joke there it's just you know how about those chairs at cinemas aren't they aren't they uncomfortable it's like there's no joke there you're just pointing something out and that's what the uh, meta humor in Deadpool is uh, it's just pointing out certain things that just there's no joke there there's nothing clever about it that and that's not meta comedy and it really bothered me because I just watched it play out on this so superficial low-grade level it was just Ah, oh, it just uh, drove me crazy.
1: I'm really looking forward to hearing Deadpool's rendition of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's Airport Peanuts uh, no, a bit like what's that. The so what's the deal? What's the deal with these Airport Peanuts? <laughs> I'm Deadpool. Hey, buy a well, soda. That, that's
0: pretty much how I felt yeah. watching the film, though. It was like all the comedy was like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I didn't even laugh once. And, and I know that sense of humour is uh, subjective in this, but I just watched it going... This is not funny. These aren't even jokes. This yeah. is just a guy pointing stuff out. And In a suit. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yeah, crazy. Crazy, uh, oh, What's the deal with superheroes?
1: So, well, I don't know. I, I hate it. Hundreds of billions of dollars is what the deal is well, with that superheroes. That is what yeah. the deal is, yeah.
0: So, well, look, let's move away from superheroes for a moment and discuss kind of some of the other interesting films from recent months just to kind of catch up on some stuff that we I'll might have. A, uh, a palate cleanse, yeah. Yeah. So, let's talk about Anomalisa. Yep. Charlie Kaufman's. Stop motion puppet film, his first directorial effort since Cinadoke, New York, yep. a few years ago. And what did you think of Anomalisa?
1: Look, I I really liked it. I know that you're probably uh, skirting around <laughs> not liking it very much, but I look, I, I see so many films, uh, as, I, as I'm sure you do, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners do. And what I really did like about this film is it, it's doing something very different by doing nothing different. At all, like it's 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 showing like an absolute dry as hell real life story, but it's presenting it in a very interesting way. Now I understand the criticism is that like if this film wasn't filmed in stop motion, would you be watching it? Oh, that's yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you're fulfilling my side of this conversation
1: because that my response would have just
0: been that. I I feel like it's kind of gimmick laden, and, and once you strip those gimmicks out what is there really other than kind of white guy first world problems and
1: i mean the the only the the, the sort of ex- explanation i can give from what i sort of took from it from an aesthetic point of view is that it's a film that is talking about human connections and the fertility of human connections by not having any humans in the film at all and I, yeah. I know that that's very surface level, sort of uh, you know film school 101 uh kind of uh, meta commentary that we're giving. But I actually really did like that. I I yeah. I, I, I think that that's um, it, it's playing with interesting kind of themes by not banging them over your head uh, in a way. So the, yeah. the
0: thing is, like I I
1: felt like I understood everything that Kaufman was
0: trying to do with Anomalisa. So I I got it. I understand the kind of philosophical issues he's trying to dig into, especially kind of using that. Admittedly, very clever technique of having every character, bar one, voiced by the same actor. Yep. And, and and I get that, except at the core of the story, I think there's something that Kaufman feels is really universal, but I really didn't, and that is, if we just take this central character that's in the film, who's kind of this middle-aged white guy who seemingly hates his life, mm. doesn't get along with people, mm. for some reason hates his family, mm. and ends up cheating on his wife with this character in a hotel on a business trip. And it's just, I, I couldn't care at all about mm. this guy. I It just felt like a pity party for a character that yep. I didn't give two shits about. Yep. Yep. And I felt like at the same time Kaufman is trying to talk universally, mm. but he's presenting this story that really is incredibly incredibly self absorbed mm. and that's the impression that i get from lots of Kaufman films it's it's kind of this Kind of self absorbed, woe is me. The world is so big, but it's so small. And it's just, it's like, it, it's, it's so, so limited. And, mm. and pity party is what I keep coming back to. It's just like, oh, poor guy. It like, re- I just didn't give a shit about him.
1: It really sort of reminded me, uh, just for some reason, of like LA Story, the Steve Martin film. <laughs> see, um, I but there's nice humor but, in that. There's nice humor yeah. in the, But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, why should we feel sorry for, for this character? Because he seemingly has everything that. Everyone should want, but you know, I was always yearning for something more. Yeah, um, I, I, the answer is I don't know, but I enjoyed watching the film and I just, I, I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed seeing the sort of, you know, uh, nuts and bolts of a daily routine, yeah, showcased on screen. Uh, it does feel like Calvin's treading water a little bit with it, yeah, uh, but it's good water. I like this water. This is, <laughs> this is good, this is, this is this is good lukewarm water. Okay, I'm happy we're in this. <laughs> I, I, I wanted, wanted a bit more than a lukewarm water, but I wanted some bubbles, yeah, I wanted, you, some you bubbles. wanted to, for someone to hit the spa. But I
0: think let's talk about something that I think we can both agree on. Let's talk about the new Coen Brothers film, yep. Hail Caesar. Yep. Boy, I, I like this I, one.
1: I really enjoyed this film oh, too. Yeah. Um, and I, I again, I've been a Coen Brothers fan since I got into their work. Yep. Uh, and for them to be able to just go from Inside the Lowen Davis to this uh, old-fashioned Hollywood screwball yarn is amazing. You know, I just love the way they can sort of like do that dance between tone and, and and story and character. And, you know, can Josh Brolin do any wrong? At God. the moment, I the Brolin is just consistently aligning himself with intelligent filmmakers uh, to create really vivid characters. And, and his studio uh, fixer uh, in this uh, really does remind me of uh, the the Hollywood producer in, in Barton Fink. Uh, yes. But it's also like the the, the ying to that yang. You know, he's um, you know uh, Mr. Lipnick in in Barton Fink yeah. is, is yeah. big and, and and wild and large, and uh, Brolin's small, well, is, and Yeah, this is yeah, great. So,
0: really interesting yeah. take on the studio system. In in this film and i think that the Com brothers uh i think they've done something really interesting with Hal caesar and i think that a lot of people are treating how caesar as one of their kind of lighter frothier efforts that don't have doesn't have much substance but mm. i actually think that everything that they've done over the last few years kind of films like a serious man and lewin davis where they're exploring kind of more melancholy philosophical mm. issues that's all inside hail caesar and it's inside it really mm. interesting and the Com brothers have this really kind of It's a smarmy thing that I think that turns off some people where everything can mean everything or it can mean nothing at the same time. And it feels like they're almost making grand statements, but they're pulling the rugs out of those statements at the exact same time. So if you think that there's a serious theme in Hail Caesar, there actually isn't, but there is, and that's the point. And there's some really clever stuff going on in it, I think, especially in the parallels between... Christianity, big studio systems, and capitalism. I think that they're kind of wrapping that all up into one ball and... Kind of
1: just rolling it out to the audience, going make something yep. of that if you want to, and doing that all under the sort of veneer of you know sight gags and oh, yeah. and fantastic. There's a, there's a fantastic scene in the film where uh, Ray Fiennes is a oh, director, no. directing a, a performer who can't quite get the sentence away he wants his uh, his script. But would it were so simple? But would it <laughs> were so simple? But would, would, would that it were so simple? Yeah. <laughs> would it were so simple? I mean, yeah, dealing with a film that, as you said, touches on uh, the, the machinations of Hollywood, and and, and if that is the uh, you know the be all end all. Religion of all the people that are, uh, you know, Hollywood practitioners. I think it's underneath a a, a, a five minute gag about how you pronounce a line No, oh, and, and uh, having
0: uh, kind of Clooney play his goofball d- but a, but putting that character yeah. in front of like some communists of ch- the 50s and having them deal ch- with like, chess
1: chess playing communists so it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, just it's,
0: it's just it just it hits my button and, so so perfectly and then
1: chen taining uh you know basically dancing around a set and then uh, having a sight gag with a with a dog yeah. you know it's it, 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 it's 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 supremely intelligent Filmmaking, uh, and uh, it's something that I think. uh, Again, uh, so many of these uh, filmmakers uh, just uh, uh, continuously now hitting their stride with these things. You know, the Coen Brothers to me, uh, every film they've made recently has been been fantastic.
0: Oh, they're on fire! They're having the like a really great late stage to their career, and I'm just so excited about anything they do right now. um, Yeah, this is this is out of the park for me. Finally, let's talk about a horror film called The Witch, Mm. which. For My Money is the best horror film I've seen in years. Yep. I was entranced by this film yep. and it got under my skin for days and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I genuinely love this film. I think it's a, a really brilliant film. And from a first-time director, too, really yep. written and directed by a guy called da- for Robert Eggers who um, had not done much
1: before this. He'd been working in production design and he just... Made this film and it's amazing. And, t- and talk about production design in this film, by the way. I mean the attention to detail and the way that it sets the scene oh, so yeah. vividly is amazing. But yeah, just the tone of the film is hypnotic. Uh, there's this real sort of like listlessness and this languid sort of quality to it that just kind of lulls you in. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like you know everything is kind of bubbling away underneath the surface. Uh, I just think yeah, it's really engrossing. It reminded me a lot in in, in some respects um, of a field in England. Okay, uh, which yeah, just cool. just in terms of tone and execution, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that obviously that, that Ben Wheatley film did not do the uh, worldwide sort of notoriety that The Witch is currently uh, yeah. doing. I mean, I've seen um, uh, memes generated about the the witch that you know Playmobil sets have been made up of the witch. Oh yeah,
0: and there's a goat character that's been dubbed Black Philip. Black Philip, he is a, a whole cultural come. phenomena I yeah. believe. It's, um, uh, yeah. But it's really interesting because I'm I'm surprised that the film is is going so wide because when I saw it I thought it was reasonably inaccessible in that mm. it is a really unnerving film it's one of those films that borders on extreme cinema and mm. in, in how unsettling it makes you feel and how much it gets under your skin so I'm, I always wonder how wide mm those films can go to general audiences yeah. and this one's really
1: doing well. And the horror in it, you know, is, is is handled in the best way that a lot of horror cinema is that it kind of, you know, the, the, the narrative is just kind of ticking along, ticking along ticking, and then something really horrific happens and yeah. it's so shocking yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's sequences in this film where, uh, you know, you, you see animals uh, engaging with human flesh and it just really, you kind of go oh, holy shit, I didn't really need to see that and I don't, it, it, the, the yeah. images you know, burn themselves on your, your kind of uh, retina after you see it, as you said it kind of really does linger with you. Well, it's just, it feels like
0: a dangerous film. It feels like yeah. a really borderline mm. transgressive film. Yeah. Uh, it, it very early on in the film, and this is no spoiler, mm. the, the titular witch mm. is revealed mm. like within the first 10 minutes. Yeah. It's, so immediately Eggers has established that this threat is real mm. and it exists kind of out in the woods so yeah. there's no question while you're watching the film and while this kind of religious family is getting more and more paranoid mm. there's no question that there's something out there yeah. and it's a threat yeah. and I think it's just absolute genius on Egger's part mm. to reveal that at the very beginning of the film mm. because it places the audience in this really claustrophobic position where you know there's something bad out in the woods, but the religious beliefs of this family are just re- reaching like a boiling point as well, and there's no escape between those two kind of polarities. We're just caught in the middle, and it's just getting more and more
1: intense. It's it's a really clever film, and it's a really gut wrenching film. And I look forward to uh, Black Phillip getting his uh, Oscar. Uh, nominations no, uh, best, best Sporting Goat Best Sporting Goat I mean yeah. they did it for the artist of the dog so sure the goat can get a look in
2: Faster than a speeding bullet More powerful than a locomotive Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman.
0: And welcome back to the Parallax Podcast. Now, joining me to discuss superhero films and expanded universe films and Batman v Superman a bit more is critic Ben Buckingham. Ben, thanks for joining me. Good afternoon. Good to be here, Rich. Yeah, so I was really interested in kind of inviting you along to discuss these kind of issues because i know that you're quite interested in them in in various ways and i guess we can start with batman v superman a bit because i know that you're quite a fan of Zack snyder's films and you're you were a big fan of man of steel the Mm -hmm. last superman film that he did but you weren't the biggest fan of batman v superman so what changed between those two films because i didn't like either of those films and i think he kind of inherits a lot of major problems from film to film but yeah why the difference of opinion from film to film
3: well as you said i refer to myself a bit as a Zack snyder apologist which is a bit wrong because i don't actually apologize for him i think he is one of the most interesting filmmakers working in hollywood um i love his kind of classical visual style which he's kept up until he's entered the dc marvel after superman kind of universe um and I love the way that he engages with issue ideology, fascism, totalitarianism and really draws out some pretty nasty topics that a lot of even indie Hollywood, indie American cinema is not willing to touch at all. That's true. Um, yeah. And in Man of Steel, uh, I, I sort of, when I first saw it, I was a bit lukewarm on it. Uh, I thought it was a bit overlong and bloated and didn't get a huge amount out of it besides how amazing Michael Shannon is, yes. which is just half of the course. Oh, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, and then one day I was just horribly hungover and I was just couldn't even move off the couch. And I was like, I need something shiny that I don't have to pay attention to. And I put Man of Steel on and it completely pulled me out of my hangover and I was absorbed and it didn't feel bloated and it just worked. And I've seen it a couple of times since then. and I, I think the themes in it are really interesting. I think it's actually quite... A tight film that it pays off everything it sets up and everything, all the little elements interlock. And I love the performances across the board Kevin Costner, Russell Crowe, Michael Shannon, even Henry Cavill. <laughs> Amy <laughs> Adams has something to do in it. So, so and then. So, what happened? Yeah. And then the opposite of that happens. <laughs> None of the themes really interlock. They set up themes that are great continuations from the first film and just have them there because they had them in the first film. Yeah. Amy Adams is given nothing to do no totally it, it 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 even harks back to the the lowest lane from um Superman Returns, which is like one of the worst lowest lanes <laughs> ever, where she just gets hit in the head like thirty times, which they do into Amy Adams in this one as well, and doesn't die even though she should because anyway anyway, I just felt completely nothing like yeah. I, I we saw it in the packed cinema, and i don't remember the last time I was in a packed cinema that had that little energy yeah like i think the crowd only responded once in any audible way and i mean you know this is meant to be batman versus superman the rumble in gotham whatever and no reaction um and i felt the same way like even like even when you asked me to do this i was kind of like do i have anything to say about this film because in rating it it's average it balances out like there's really good stuff in it and there's really awful stuff and it all just equals up to totally average, which is the worst kind of film possible. Where it's not even bad enough to be something. Like
0: See, it was the, it was
3: bad for me though. I it was I that, it was bad enough to be something it, for you. It was.
0: It was. I, I found I found it a really ugly. Film, a, a really grim film. It was, it was really
3: marginally more colourful than Man of Steel. I don't feel like he paid attention to those re-edits that put the colour. Really, because it into felt it felt
0: grayer than Man of Steel to me. And maybe that's just my memory, An emotional state. Yet, <laughs> because I, I found this a really dark film visually, like mm. in, in oh, terms really of literal. It was dark. <laughs> like yeah. mostly took place at night. Yeah. And I just, I just really didn't find it a pleasant experience in any way. And also the the way that Snyder pits Batman and Superman as these kind of polarities of just terribleness because Snyder Superman is already a a reasonably kind of mopey emo character, which I thought was actually a mistake from Man of Steel that he's just doubled down on here. And so as a contrast to that, he makes Batman just a psychopath. So we have like a psychopathic Batman against an emo, mopey Superman. And that's just an unpleasant scenario to experience.
3: That's, I I definitely, I sort of agree. (laughs) Definitely sort of agree. (laughs) I think that's how you, a lot of my response to this film will be definitely sort of. Uh, I think part of my love of Man of Steel was that it felt like it was setting up really interesting things, that it was pointing in interesting directions. And the emotional Superman is a good place to start. It's not necessarily a good place to continue diving further into.
0: So you like the promise of Man of Steel? Um, I know.
3: I'm curious how it'll be when I rewatch it. Yeah. um, Because I don't know how that will play out, uh, how it will feel knowing that this is where it's going to. However, if we step back for a second, remove ourselves from the whole Batman, Superman legacy kind of element... The idea has been floated that this is kind of the Batman-Superman for our times. Chaotic, psychotic, yep. incoherent, mindless violence aimed at whoever seems most worthy of blame. That, that sounds like a lot of the news that's coming out of not oh, look, just I, America, I, but I, definitely I've, I've America.
0: Mar- yeah, yeah, and I've read those readings, and, and, and I appreciate them from a critical mm. perspective. I, I do feel like this film is... Yeah, it is very representative of our times. But that does not mean it's a, a pleasant film to watch, It or a less ugly film, or even a better film for that. It, it is just representative of the terribleness of our times in its terribleness. And another thing that I wanted to kind of, I guess, talk about that the film does is the film doubles down on this attempt to create an expanded universe. Mm-hmm. So we know that DC and Warner Brothers have planned the next kind of five plus years of films Mm. around this universe and we've got justice league films and wonder woman films and aquaman films and all this begins with batman v superman and it's all clunkily jammed into this film to set up i wondered what your opinion of this was because i know that you follow the marvel expanded universe Mm in in kind of its film and tv properties and and you enjoy that how do you feel about what they're doing here in terms of are you excited about these future films uh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I guess not
3: I I uh, When I used to read comics uh, I <coughs> was a bit more of a vertigo person Than a DC version yeah. So I've I read the more adult, bizarro side of DC Yeah, Which means that actually these films Are more geared towards their vertigo strand Like they feel a bit more like they fit into that realm Well and, and
0: Suicide Squad is Suicide the next exactly. film That's coming in this universe Exactly,
3: and, and I'm certainly very curious About Suicide Squad Um but that that, that, that who knows what that will be. Um, I think the problem is where Marvel has shown that with something, especially the prime example of this stage is Daredevil. Yes. That going hard, dark, grim does actually fit quite well into their universe, even though they're quite bubblegum colourful at times. And you've got the you know the opposite end of the spectrum being Ant-Man, which is more comedy than it is an action film. Yeah. Um, they don't feel alien to each other. It's hard to imagine an expanded DC universe that doesn't just be more of this.
0: So the tone that Snyder's setting How? is really kind of going to be oppressive.
3: Maybe like, what is Aquaman going to be? Is it going to be like a gothic fish film?
0: Well, it's interesting because um, <laughs> James Wan is directing Aquaman. Yes, I mean he's, he's going to be a gothic fish. Well, film. <laughs> no, he's already come out this week, I guess, with a statement. Probably in reaction to everything that's happening, yeah, and stressed. And his statement basically included the word "fun" several times. He yeah. he was stressing that Aquaman is going to be fun. It's a fun film, and I think that it'll be interesting to see maybe the the DC Universe try to course correct maybe after this intense tonal downer that yeah. that Snyder is laying over this. But Snyder's doing the Justice League films, so
3: yeah, that's that's that's, that's is that that's a worry. Uh, possibly. I mean, it. it I think. In watching Batman versus Superman for the first 40 minutes, I was like not thrilled, but I was engaged. I was interested. I think most of its best stuff happens in the first 40 minutes. A couple of its worst bits as well, but most <laughs> of its best stuff happens in the first 40 minutes. Um, and a lot of that is the stuff that is setting up its own story. Yeah. And it's the stuff that ties back to man of steel, which had all that promise. And so it's got all this stuff where it's like, it sets up its own really interesting story. And then a starts just abandoning that to start setting up the other films and punching and that's it it's like it kind of the film actually stops halfway through and just explodes like a stick of dynamite shoved into a pipe it's just like nice and sort of linear moving along and then just just everywhere yeah and i think that's its biggest problem that it's it kind of works better a week later lying in bed at night half asleep sort of experience it as a kind of metaphor dream <laughs> memory <laughs> like <laughs> then that kind of like works and again that ties back to the kind of like it being the right film for now because in that sort of metaphor dream memory state it clicks in well with the way we're experiencing our world and violence and chaos at the moment. But as a film sitting there for two and a half hours, you don't get that. You just get some really, really dire dialogue that tells you that everything is going balls up when it's already clearly going balls up.
0: So in general, this kind of expanded universe thing that every studio is trying to do at the moment. You've got kind of Star Wars doing their own expanded universe and I think, you know, you've got the X-Men expanded universe. That's kind of going to spread wider too. Mm. Are you a fan of this type of big studio filmmaking? Because you do enjoy the Marvel expanded universe and you follow I, the, the the aspects of that. Does Don't you feel a bit frustrated when DC kind of... So clunkily uh, placing ads for future movies it, in movies. Yeah, like. it,
3: it, I don't. I wouldn't call them ads. I, I. I think it. It's I'm fine with it. I mean, I've been a fan of this in other uh, media forms. I mean, I've been a Stephen King fan since I was a little kid, and Stephen King's been building his own expanded universe forever. That's, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He. A lot of people would say he probably balls it up when he tried to tie it all together <laughs> in the end. But still, that was like 20 to 30 years of really solid interesting connections. And what that gives you is, it gives you significance. It gives you broader spectrum. It gives depth. Um, and all of those are absolutely essential in something that could be quite bubblegum. Well, is um, Would
0: you say that there's good ways to do it and bad ways to do I it? Absolutely. I mean, because you but could say that Tarantino does the same thing. He, he creates these details that weave together these disparate films, creating a internal world of films that span all his films. and But the way that DC's doing this with Batman v Superman is is clunky and not good.
3: It is clunky because they're doing it on an accelerated rate. That's the problem. It's that accelerated rate that if Batman versus... I mean, we're heading into Civil War with Captain America. Yeah, Marvel
0: took their time building to where they are. They didn't just do one film going and here's five more films that we're setting
3: up. Yeah, exactly. And Civil War looks like it's probably going to be you know, as dark and yes. grim as yeah. Batman versus Superman, but they've earned it. Like yeah. we, we love those characters now, and we're ready to be emotionally raked over the coals in classic kind of, you know, verse style, because we know that's where it's heading. Well, and um, I, I'm quite
0: fascinated, actually, by the fact that we're getting this Batman vs. Superman story and the Civil War story really close together, because they're kind of the same story. They're, we're not talking about superheroes fighting villains anymore, but we're talking about battles of ideologies. Well, and and this Why is that happening now in 2016?
3: Well, this goes back to what I was saying th- about Stephen King. I think that um, the the expanded universe option, as I said, it adds significance and depth. It makes things feel like they have more meaning than they might otherwise. Um, and, you know, we don't think about the expanded universe of books set in the real world, because they're set in the real world. Yeah. Like, they're connected. You know, you can write a book that's set in... You know, now and reference Nixon or Howard or whatever you know connected to political events, and that technically is an expanded universe. Um, So these pop culture Um, books, comics, films—they are struggling to find meaning. I mean, when Stephen King was writing, he was just a horror novelist, and horror was still written off as being you know nasty little thing and then he became the biggest bookseller in the world yep. and now we're standing at a certain point where it's like if universities had and i think maybe even some universities do had a course dedicated entirely to the literature and world of stephen <laughs> king you wouldn't bat an eyelid at that because he's written such an incredible you know selection of books that have so much significance and meaning and connect to so many elements you know dating back you know, hundreds yep. of years um, and so he's kind of you know he planted his flag in the ground and said this is it. And part of the pa- how how he built that was his own expanded universe and people connecting them up and making giving it that depth and meaning.
0: So it's just that maybe DC's forcing this. I and think it, that's yeah. it.
3: Yeah, I think that the the and you know Marvel is building up to Civil War. You know, the, it's it's only with the you know things like uh, the what. Um, Winter Soldier was doing with its sort of socio political elements that people started to be like, Oh, wait a minute, there's actually, you know, people comparing that to the cold the, the Cold War thrillers and, you know, seventies kind of all the president's men kind of things. And something us like that's a big step up from how comic books were being talked about ten years ago. Yes. So in building that expanded universe, they give that significance, that meaning, that depth, they're planting the flag and saying, No, we're more than just big dumb films. Yeah. And so I think that's why a lot of that is happening at the moment, that they've kind of, these various institutions have set up this foundation and now they're going, okay, here's what the foundation is about. Here's why we have it. Here's why it's important. Yeah. Here's why it's as good as that Oscar-worthy blah, blah, blah film that they're trying to it, remove that um, artificial difference between, you know, classy film and pulp films. Yeah. And even Tarantino was doing that. You can definitely t- include Tarantino as part of that. Indeed. Um, but yeah, DC trying to do it on this accelerated run, like you watched Batman versus Superman and you can see how this would have worked building up over a couple of years. Yeah. Um, give it the meaning and depth, you know, let the Batman versus Superman antagonism boil for a while instead of starting it off boiling and then cool it down. Yeah. <laughs> like I, 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 kind of
0: feel like maybe there needed to be a dedicated Batman film with Ben Affleck separate to this to to let this stew a bit it just it feels so rushed it feels like they've just gone oh we need to do what everyone's doing now and jam it together
3: let's go paranoid conspiracy for a minute Rich (laughs) let's do it what if DC is trying to justify prequels what if they could fix Batman versus Superman by doing nothing but prequels for the next five years (laughs) Because they are, Wonder Woman's going to be a prequel. Oh, is it really? Is yeah. that, that's going to be I'm pretty sure set it's going to be set like hundred years ago. I'm pretty sure of that.
0: That's it's frightening. Yeah. It, it's frightening. So it's all just about redconning.
3: Possibly, <laughs> if they're all origin stories, then they, every one of the Justice League films is going to be a prequel. Oh god! So they can start like building in all the layers that are missing from this film.
0: I see the, the prospects of five more years of films. At all like
3: this and just building towards this building towards the, it's
0: just a depressing i don 't know that, I, kind
3: of i 'm up for that because <laughs> it 's so like ludicrous and <laughs> different I mean it is actually different, and I, I, much as i don 't think they are going to do that, and it is kind of a stupid idea. We live in an age where ten to fifteen years ago, a lot of things we said would be stupid ideas that we would never see in cinema have come to pass, and a, quite a few of them actually kind of worked so <sighs> Well, I,
0: I, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I, I think the next few years of film are going to be interesting because cause I think the Batman v Superman has set a path that has, I think, really put a focus on what big studios are doing and setting up future movies that a lot of people are paying attention to now because this has not worked. Yeah. Marvel have got away with something for the last five or six years that everyone's trying now, and, yeah, I think that a lot of money is being risked on something that could fail hugely, so... It's going to be interesting to see what happens.
3: Yeah, and it is going to be like I'm always curious about where Zack Snyder is going to head in his career because pretty much every step he's taken has been quite oddly different, Um, and these are actually the first two that he hasn't done something oddly different. Um, And yeah, listening to him talk, it's not exactly the most gratifying thing in the world. He doesn't come. He comes off as a bit of a dumb surfer boy. Yes. Um, but the film that he's made, like, yeah, there, there are really interesting things going on in these films, and I, I just wonder if maybe, like, it is a case that he has interesting obsessions, and they are just misplaced. Not misplaced in the DC universe, but misplaced by in the significance he's being placed in the DC universe. Like he. I you know I don't know what James Gunn's Avengers would have been like, but I love James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like maybe Snyder would have been better off, you know, not being given such a centerpiece place in the the overall structure. I think
0: I can agree with that. Yeah. yeah,
3: and that's you know I I do we we saw what happened with Josh Whedon and Age of Ultron, and again you know you can't not to try and defend him, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of constraints. And Batman vs. Superman does have the feeling of someone running into an office every 10 minutes and going, I've got a great idea. It's really <laughs> cool. And they are all really great ideas and they are all really cool. But that's not how you make a film. No. And so I, as a, I'm a big supporter of Man of Steel. I still am a big supporter of Zack Snyder. But everything just kind of felt wrong-headed and rushed and it does feel like a major hiccup. But there is there is some really good stuff in there. As I said, lying in bed at night, half asleep, metaphor <laughs> dreaming about the end of the world. Batman versus Superman fits in quite nicely. So if they can do a prequel verse <laughs> to Kay. fix it, if they can retcon it into rightness, maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, and thanks, we've still got yeah. the we've still got the R-rated version to come supposedly, which will apparently
0: run for over 3 hours. American
3: R-rated out in yeah. May. Yeah, you can deal with over 3 hours of
0: this film, then <laughs> maybe we'll chat again once the R-rated 3-hour version comes out and see how you're feeling.
3: I've never realized I needed a half an hour of Batman v Superman gore, but if it's a half an hour of Batman v Superman gore, I'm there. I'm so there.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Ben, for joining us. Like, You're welcome. welcome. Really find your opinions interesting. And <laughs> yes. we should look forward to 30 minutes of Batman v Superman gore.
3: We didn't even get to my Herschel Gordon Lewis comparison. <laughs> <laughs> That's for next time.
2: I'm still not certain that you love me Every time you hold me I'm still not certain that you care Though you keep on saying You really, really, really love me Do you say the same words to someone else When I'm not there? Suspicious Oh, it's my heart Suspicion Keeps us apart Suspicion Why torture me? Every time you call me and tell me we should be tomorrow
0: Well, that's it for another Parallax podcast. Thanks to Zach and Ben for joining me and helping me think a little more positively about some of the truly awful things in cinema at the moment. Home. You tell I'm still upset about the Batman v Superman thing Because I am I mean it really was one of the more unpleasant cinema experiences I've ever had But hang on, I'll stop now I don't want to go on Otherwise this podcast will probably go as long as that film itself So thanks to everyone for listening I'll be back soon with another Parallax So stay tuned, bye
2: Why me? if you love me, I beg you Wait until I drive all these foolish fears out of my mind Why can't our romance just keep on growing stronger Maybe I'm suspicious cause your love is so hard to find Suspicion Hold my heart Suspicion Keeps us apart Suspicion why talk to me?